0: Go.
1: White Snake. Nothing personal. Word of the day for January 8th, 2021 is White Snake. What's the first thing you think of when I say the word White Snake? Well, it's obviously the song, and it goes like this I can't play it because we'd have to pay a fine. And Coca said, We're out of fines. By the way, Coca, you never told me the amount of money we owe for saying. We, when referring to Major League Baseball during the course of 2020, we were gonna put a dollar in the jar every time I said we instead of they because we're it's a they, not a we. I used to be a we. I was an 18-year we.
0: <clears throat> it's
1: sort of tough to become a they. So we're giving a little money to charity. So white snake is the word of the day, and here's how it goes. I don't know where I'm going, but I sure know where I've been. Those are the first two lines from the song by White Snake that we've all sung. And I'm referring, of course, to the New York Mets. New York Mets lead off our show today because in the midst of the chaos and disgrace that was two days ago, and the show that we did yesterday, it came across the wire that the New York Metropolitans had traded with the Cleveland Indians not big news. Who did they get? They got the best shortstop in baseball. People have been adding me about this. Fernando Tatis Jr. is not the best shortstop in baseball today. There is a chance he will be, but not today. Today, Francisco Lindor is the best shortstop in baseball. Francisco Lindor, the player for the Cleveland Indians, the player who was not traded a year ago, who we said should have been traded a year ago, the player who is not going to be re-signed by the Indians. So they said, "Uh uh-oh, we better trade him. So they made 29 phone calls to see who would be interested in taking on Lindor, best shortstop in the game, with a salary of about, call it $20 million this coming year. It has not yet been decided in arbitration what his salary will be. He's in his final year of arbitration before free agency. So any team acquiring him only gets him for one year. Does this sound familiar? Going into the hot tub time machine to the Mookie Betts trade last off season when he was traded by the Red Sox to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mookie Betts also was around 20, 21 million as a final year arbitration eligible player but the Los Angeles Dodgers re-signed him. Do you remember that? Remember how crazy it was when we said that if baseball is canceled because of COVID, then Mookie Betts, in theory, would become a free agent and never actually play for the Los Angeles Dodgers? And we said to you, not really how it's going to happen. He's going to be there for a long time because otherwise, Andrew Friedman's not making that trade. Well, now fast forward to 1985, and you will find Oh, no, that's not true. Hold on. Let me get the joke right. Fast forward to 2005. Is that what it is, Coca? Back to the future when Marty McFly goes to the future or back to the future. I think he's going to 2005, which at the time was hugely into the future where people thought there'd be flying cars and retina readers. So let's go back to the future. And the Mets are doing the same thing that the Dodgers did. It was 2015. Thank you, Coca. Can you do you remember that side note, side note alert, total tangent. When Back to the Future 2 came out and it was the future, remember Back to the Future three was the old West, but Back to the Future Two was when Biff had gotten the almanac that had all of the results of every sporting event. So he was able to bet on every event, win every event every game, every bet, and he became hugely rich. And this future world where Marty McFly and Doc had to go forward, played by Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox, had to go forward was 2015. And if you watch the movie, what is staggering about 2015 is it looked nothing like what 2015 actually looked like, because 2015 looked sort of like 1985, just, you know, different kind of cars, I would say. But now when we do movies, movies about the future, like Blade Runner 2049, although I may have that wrong, is that the name of the movie? Or is it 2089? Let's pretend it's 2049 for Blade Runner. Again, it's this crazy sort of future, which by the way, is only 28 years from now. So remember, 28 years ago, 28 years ago, was, wait for it, 1993. That's not that long ago, is it? Is that much different the year before the OJ Simpson Bronco chase? It's just crazy how time just changes in such increments that it feels like it's changing all together very slowly. And then you take a point in time in the future, you go to a point in time in the past, and then you evaluate the differences. So anyway, we're going back to the future and the Mets have acquired Francisco Lindor in what Mets fans are calling the greatest trade acquisition since 2008, which is 12 years ago, 13 years ago. I'm completely blanking on the 2008 trade right now. That was a big trade when they acquired, was that when they acquired Robbie Alomar by chance? I don't think that can be true. That's not far enough into the past. But there was a big trade the Mets made in 08. Coca, help me. I'm falling. It's Friday. I'm falling like the bluebells. I'm falling. Anyway, so the Mets make this trade. I guess, why wasn't the Brody Van Wagenen trade for Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano known as the biggest trade ever? I think it's the biggest trade since the Cano-Diaz trade. Now, just because that trade didn't work, that doesn't mean it's not a big trade. It's just a failed trade. So the Mets take on Francisco Lindor. They get him for one year. Everything's fine. They also get Carlos Carrasco. Carlos Carrasco is a middle of the rotation pitcher who has a sub three RA for the Cleveland Indians last year, 33 years old. He's got two years left on his deal at, let's say, $23 million total over the two years. Not totally outrageous. He has a third year club option, which would be in 2023. Not totally outrageous. So, is this the greatest deal in Mets history? Are the Mets now on their way to a World Series? So, I went on CBS Sports HQ and I did not sing Here here I Go Again. I wanted to. But let me just put a tiny bit, just a tiny bit of cold water on the trade. Forget that the Mets sent back Ahmed Rosario. Doesn't really matter. Forget the fact that they sent Andres Simenez, who actually has a chance to be a good shortstop. Coca, thank you. The OA trade. Thank you. You're alerted. Hello. It's Friday. He's like 10 seconds behind. The OA trade was not Robbie Alomar. It was Johan Santana. Thank you. So, Josh Wolfe and Isaiah Green are the other two players going back to Cleveland. So there's four total players going to Cleveland, two total players going to New York. So here's the bit of cold water. Francisco Lindor is not a one-year rental for the Mets. You heard it here first. The Mets will sign Lindor to a long-term contract extension. No matter what Sandy Alderson said when he met the media, which, by the way, was embarrassing in its content. He said, we acquired Francisco because of his present ability and the possibility that he could be a Met long term. There's no guarantee of that. It's something we will approach in the next few weeks. At this point, we felt comfortable giving up the group of players we did for both Lindor and Carrasco. We gave up a lot of control for short term control. But I think we're comfortable with that and what we might be able to do going forward. If your BS meter isn't up, then you haven't been paying attention to nothing personal. First of all, let's examine Sandy's comments pretty carefully. He said, it's something we will approach in the next few weeks. Is anything going to be different about Lindor in the next few weeks than it is right now? I'm just curious. When they approach Lindor, sometime in the month of January, early February before spring training, which is what code for the next few weeks means, because they want to get the extension done before spring training. So he doesn't have to meet the media and have the distraction of saying, oh, you're going to be a free agent. Oh, do you like it here? Oh, would you consider signing long term? Oh, is there another place you'd like to play? But they're not going to learn anything new about him personally. It's not like they're going to live with him for a year in the clubhouse and then make a decision. There is nothing that will change between today and the next few weeks. With the Mets brass and their desire to sign Lindor. So why not come out and say, we have an agreement with Lindor long term. And that is why we made this trade. Because that would be a violation of the rules against tampering in Major League Baseball. You are not allowed to speak to a player who is not on your roster officially in MLB's computer about any sort of contract, period. When you trade for a player, you remember we told you this the way it works is when you trade for a player, that player gets eliminated off the Indians roster and added to the Mets roster. And it's done on a computer. And that's when a trade is official, when that player is on his new roster. Once the player is on your roster, you then have the ability to talk to him and negotiate with him and sign him and trade him or release him or waive him, do anything you want. But in real life, the Mets spoke to Lindor and to Lindor's agent prior to making this trade I guarantee you, because they do not make this trade until they know that Lindor is interested in a long-term deal with the Mets. Yesterday, I went on Canada Radio and made a bit of a stink because the Blue Jays fans were upset that they didn't get Lindor because apparently they were one of the finalists to get Lindor. And I said, don't blame Mark Shapiro, the president of baseball operations, because the reason the Blue Jays were not able to consummate a trade with the Indians is simply not that they weren't willing to give up what the Mets gave up. They were. It's that Lindor was not going to sign with the Blue Jays long term. And that trade only makes sense giving up what the Mets gave up, however little it was for the Blue Jays to match that. They also wanted to make sure that they would have Lindor long term. And if they didn't want Lindor long term, then they were not going to give up as much as the Mets gave up, even though it wasn't that much. Do you see the subtle difference there? As a team trading a player like Lindor, the Indians want to get as much as possible in return. The way to get as much as possible is to have it not be a one-year rental. It's to have it be a long-term asset for the acquiring team. And that's what Lindor will be for the New York Mets. Makes perfect sense to me. So there are people all over talking about the trade. Chris Antonetti, the president of baseball operations for the Indians said he cried. I've traded a lot of players in my time, a lot of great players. Mm, I'm trying to think of did I cry? No, no. Was I upset that we had to trade Miguel Cabrera? Yeah. Did I really want to trade everybody in 2006, Carlos Delgado and everybody else? We had a trade from the 05 team when we were trying to repeat from 03. Yeah. Was I upset when I called Mark Burley and said we were trading him after signing him to a free agent deal in 2012, knowing that I'd become friends with him and his family and he would never speak to me again? And true, it's been nine years and Mark Burley has never spoken to me again. I've spoken to his wife, Jamie, trying to make up to him and to her who I'd become close with both of them. But I've still not said a word to Mark Burley. I've texted him on his birthday, New Year's, when he was put on the Hall of Fame ballot, nary a response. You know, speaking of which, Mike Redmond has never responded to me since we fired him also. People take it very personally, I guess, and I understand it. But at the end of the day, it really is just business when we're firing or trading a player. And I told Mark that. I told Redmond that when he was fired. We may have done it in a very clumsy way. There may have been rumors of his demise prior to firing him. But to not talk to me for this number of years, how about just dropping an FU or just saying, man, I'm so disappointed. I thought that I would be your manager forever or I'm so disappointed. I thought that I would be pitching here through the course of my contract. I didn't want to go to Toronto. They don't like pit bulls. They're not allowed to have pit bulls. I can't take my pit bulls. I'm absolutely despondent beyond repair. That would be talking. That would be talking. So Chris Antonetti said he cried, but then he said, listen, to all the Indians fans out there, We don't expect to cut any more payroll and we will reinvest and build from where we are right now. Okay, so here's what that means. We have hit our budget because they traded away, Lindor's 20, Carrasco's 11, that's about $30 million shaved off their payroll. They're not exactly gonna go and sign another free agent or any type of player. And they've acknowledged the fact that they're gonna not be able to compete in the American League Central, where the White Sox are better, where the twins are better, and the Indians' window for greatness and World Series victories has now closed with this group of players. And they've got the reigning Cy Young winner, by the way, in Shane Bieber. So can you imagine what Shane Bieber is thinking right now? Despondent. So Antonetti, by saying that they're not cutting any more payroll, is really not worth mentioning because fans don't want to hear that. So I would never let our GM say that, hey, we're done. That's it. Nah, if we get a great offer for another player like Jose... Ramirez, who's making 9 million, we're going to trade him too. But don't worry. That was what we always say. Don't worry. We will reinvest these savings. Yeah, we don't do that very often. Another buddy, another buddy, another buddy, another person was interested in this trade because they felt that, uh, Here's the question. I found today's Lindor's trade very underwhelming for the Cleveland team. Do you think if they would have traded him last year to the Dodgers, they would have received a package of Gavin Lux and Julio Urias for the extra year? Well, I appreciate you asking that, Mario. And the answer is they would not have gotten Lux and Arias. We tried to get them. We tried to, everybody's tried to get Urias and Lux. And they're not trading those guys, even for Lindor, even for an extra year. They maybe would have talked about Corey Seager, though. That would have been more possible than putting in Urias, who, by the way, is the pitcher, lest we forget, was on the mound instead of Kenley Jansen when the Dodgers won the World Series only a few months ago. But the difference that you're really asking is, would the Indians have gotten more for Lindor had they traded him last year? And the answer is an unequivocal yes. But you know that because you watch and listen to nothing personal, which by the way, download and subscribe this podcast. Uh, The numbers for yesterday's podcast, Coca told me have been record breaking. And I appreciate that you give me and us the latitude that we don't just talk sports. We talk politics, we talk business, we talk entertainment, and we rise to the moment of what is happening in our country, even if it's not sports related. And just because we are back to sports right now and back to other business that we're gonna talk about and reviewing movies does not mean in any way that I've forgotten what I said yesterday or forgotten the actions that I have taken yesterday, will take today and will take tomorrow and the day after. The change that we all wanna be, we are becoming and we will make happen, not just talk about it happening. But you've downloaded and you've subscribed and the numbers are phenomenal. So please keep telling your friends about nothing personal. I appreciate that very much so one of the segments we do is coca's favorite you know what i want (laughs) i want to talk to samson it's jocular i agree so you want to talk to samson is when you ask questions of me on twitter and they've been coming fast and furious did you notice i worked in a so you want to talk to samson into the lindor segment that we just finished Thank you, Mario. People are on David P. Sampson at Twitter. Please follow and and rate, review, and subscribe, although that's the podcast, not the Twitter account, on Instagram as well. Though I'm finding the Instagram direct messages, which I did learn how to find, I'm now learning how to respond to. But very many of them are the following. Hi, are you looking for a wife? Hi, I'd like to spend time with you and it's always with zero posts and zero followers, and the picture, by the way, is not terrible at all, but it turns out that they're just bots. But in any case, David P. Sampson, ask a question, so you wanna talk to Sampson, and we will discuss it. Hello, David. Hello. Thank you for being my favorite part of my drive home from work every day. I have a question about MLB expansion. Do you see a team being successful in Vancouver? I oftentimes see recommendations for Portland, but I feel Vancouver would be better in the Northwest because one, it gives the Mariners a cross-border rival, which can be great for money. And two, it creates a second Canadian team to rival the Blue Jays without taking from Blue Jays fans because they are so far from each other. And three, Vancouver is the most densely populated city in Canada. This looks like an untapped market with a profitable upside. Would this work or is there something I am missing? Thank you. Well, thank you and hello. Let's talk about Vancouver, let's talk about MLB expansion, let's talk about Canada and let's talk about the reality of what it means to have a cross border rival. Number one, players unfortunately do not like playing in Toronto or in Canada, they enjoyed the benefit of going to Montreal for a couple days. They like that, right? It's the best road city of all time. Toronto's a close second. Vancouver would be a close third. If you've never been to Vancouver, make sure you get to Vancouver. Maybe the most beautiful place on the planet, clean and wonderful. But the reality of a cross border rival is forgetting the fact that the border's closed and right now you can't even get to Canada or get back. We're all gonna get vaccinated and the borders will again be open. The fact is that when you are passing in and out of customs, what you have to do when you go back and forth to Canada, it is an extra step that players in general don't like. Secondly, when you are in Canada, you are dealing with a completely different healthcare system, a completely different educational system not better, not worse, just different. So we always had a hard time getting players when I was in Canada to make it their off-season home. And one of the things that baseball always is trying to do is to get players to live where they play. As a front office we try it, as a league we try it because it is far better for all the teams to have its players close during the off-season for monitoring purposes, for health purposes, for preparation purposes. That is why Florida is such an advantage and why it's great to have big league teams in Florida, because so many of our players would live close to our spring training facility or in Miami, and it would make it so much easier and more cost effective and efficient to take care of the team as a 12 month going concern versus just a regular season going concern. Very few players, if any, would relocate to Canada. Next. There is no extra money that comes from having a team in Vancouver versus Portland. The question is, is there less money? And the answer is yes. Because when you are doing a Major League Baseball national broadcasting deal, you want as few markets as possible that are not quote unquote, that are not quote unquote, Nielsen counted. What a Nielsen counted market, a Nielsen rated market, is that you've got 30 teams in MLB, but 29 because of Toronto markets. The Canadian market doesn't count. They do not want to make it 29 out of 31 or 29 or 30 out of 32 when they expand to two. That is why Vancouver and Montreal are truly at the bottom of the list of expansion that is the main reason, is broadcast revenue. Because if you are going to split your broadcast revenue, and Montreal, when it was a team, Toronto is a team, they get 1 30th of that revenue. You want there to be concomitant increase in the national broadcast revenue pile. Now, speaking of broadcast revenue, we should mention that there is news breaking right now. MLB had a deal with ESPN that was an eight-year, $5.6 billion deal, so around $700 million per year. They are discussing a new deal that is seven years, $3.85 billion, which would reduce the average annual value to about $550 million per year. The reason why this is a lower average annual payout is that ESPN is reducing the number of games that they carry by half. And so what people are going to be asking themselves is now MLB trying to show that their broadcast deals are not increasing in the way the NFL's are. Are they doing this heading into the collective bargaining agreement? They want to get the lower number on the book so they can say to the players, "Whoa, we don't have the money you think we do." And the answer is the players are not that stupid. Bruce Mayer, Tony Clark, the rest of the players union, they understand that the reason ESPN is, playing, is paying fewer dollars is they're getting fewer games and MLB will sell those games that they're getting back to another content provider. They may sell them to Amazon. They could sell them to Netflix. They could put them on MLB network and increase the value in the advertising revenue and the sub rates of MLB network as a channel. What you have to look at when you are examining the broadcast deal, if MLB announces a smaller average annual value of a deal with ESPN, divide the number of games that ESPN used to show by the amount of money. And if the amount per game is the same or bigger, and I'll bet you dollar it's bigger, that means the rights fees in theory have gone up, not down, and owners will end up with more money, not less. So from a PR standpoint and a negotiating standpoint, it is something that baseball would definitely want out there through Rosenthal. They definitely are interested in continuing the narrative that their money is decreased, that they want to play fewer than 162 games in 2021, that they don't want to pay the full 162 games worth of salary to the players, that they need to have fans in the stands. All of the narrative that they've been talking about since the pandemic started, don't you think that's gone away? Don't believe that everything is guns and roses and that everything's fine. That's not the expression. That's the band. Um, okay, Coca, bring it to me. What's the expression? Is it roses and daffodils? Don't think that everything is roses and daffodil. That's not it. It's um, wine and roses. I can't, daisies and dandelions. Is that what it, I can't hear you, Coca. Daisies and roses? I, I literally can't hear what you're saying. Okay. No. Hold on. I'm putting you ladder. No. Okay. Oh, shut up and keep going, Davis. Oh, that's what he's saying. He wasn't answering what it was. Coco wasn't trying to help me with everything being roses and wine. He was saying, could you please get back to Vancouver for Christ's sake? Hold on. I'm bringing the plane in for a landing on a Friday. <laughs> So to finish your question, sir, now I'm gonna take one more minute because I wanna finish the other part of it of having a untapped market with a profitable upside. Vancouver is most certainly an untapped market with a profitable upside, but that's not really your question. Your specific question is about MLB expansion. And my specific answer is NGTH. There will not be a team in Vancouver. Okay, Coca. I got back to Vancouver relatively, not quickly and totally clumsily. When we come back, we are going to review Vince Vaughn's new movie, which I watched by accident. We're going to get a weekend's worth of picks and we're going to talk about, yes, we are, Deshaun Watson. We'll be right back.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash easy, ramp.com slash easy, R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Coke, and I bring to you Nothing Personal every day, five days a week, 45 minutes. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it more than you know. We respect you more than you know for allocating this time when you've got so many different things pulling on you every moment that your eyes are open. So, you know, we watch a movie every day. You know, I do not watch horror movies. I don't watch slasher movies. I am scared. I admit it. At five, 5, 125, I can get into a small corner. I can hide like the best of them. I have been scared of things, my shadow, my whole life, scared of the dark, which I'm now getting over, by the way but I don't want to watch a movie that will give me nightmares. And I do get nightmares and I wake up uh, by gasping for breath. It's not apnea, but it's like the apnea when you wake up and you can't like that. That happens to me more often than I wish to admit. And it is incredibly scary when you can't draw a breath. I always imagine that what it must be like to drown. It's just an absolute nightmare nightmare in terms of of my nightmare. And I love swimming and cycling and and all the things that happen in triathlon. But I do think about that. And so I'm not looking for nightmares. What I am looking for is Vince Vaughn movies. And you know, I don't read reviews until after the movie. I don't watch trailers, because I am dedicated and devoted to certain directors and certain actors. And if they're in movies, or I hear that I should watch a movie, or you give me a suggestion that I should watch a movie, I'm going to watch it. So I'm going through, and I don't remember whether it's Netflix or Amazon or Hulu, I have no idea where this is. It's a movie called Freaky. So Vince Vaughn in Freaky, I'm thinking I'm about to see some breasts, right? We're going to get freaky. That's what he does. So I start watching the movie, and all of a sudden, Vince Vaughn is a serial killer. And it is a horror movie a slasher movie. Basically, it is a satire of a slasher movie. Like Scream, I would say, is how people have described it, even though I've never seen any of the Scream movies, of course. Was it Nev Campbell in Scream? I probably should watch Scream. I'm just, I could watch it like this, maybe with the hand over my face, with my eyes closed, except one little tiny left eye open, which I don't see well out of anyway. I, I actually don't see out of my left eye at all very well. I can't even see the big E at the eye doctor, which is a miracle. I can even play tennis or do anything that requires coordination, but I've just gotten used to everything with my right eye, which is why I can't get LASIKs, by the way, which is why I need glasses. Hello. So anyway, I'm watching through the corner of my left eye, which means I can't see anything, and I'm scared. I'm not laughing. It's a story about a guy in a town who basically goes into the body of a girl who and Vince Vaughn, the girl, goes into the body of Vince Vaughn. So the girl becomes the serial killer. Vince Vaughn becomes a girl. And you get all the jokes of the body switching jokes where he runs like a girl and talks like a girl and looks at his down at his crotch and says, oh my God, this is so big and so annoying. How do people deal with this? All of the stereotypes of body switching Vince Vaughn as the girl looks at her new body and touches her chest and says, interesting. Everything that, it it was just ridiculous. Freaky was not a good movie. I don't know that it's getting credit for being a good movie. Vince Vaughn to me went sideways. My guess is this was a good payday for him. There are some people saying that it's not terrible in terms of the whole body switching part and Vince Vaughn got to show some acting chops and those are obviously said by people who didn't watch him in uh, Cell Block 99. He has the ability to be dramatic and to be comedic. And in this movie, I'm not sure he was either. It's called Freaky with Vince Vaughn. And by the way, I should note that the next Vince Vaughn movie he does, I still won't watch the trailer. I still won't read the review. I'm still going to watch it because he's built up at least five cred, That's the expression I'll give to an actor or a director or a writer as they build up their credibility with me. It's built up in terms of number of movies I'll watch even if they're crappy until I will not give them the benefit of the doubt. Vince Vaughn is at five after Freaky. We're down to four right now. Okay, we do picks on this show. Yes, we do. We spend a lot of time going through these picks. Hold on one second, Coca. I'm getting out my dart. There's a dartboard in the back of the studio. Think. No. Oh, oh, guess what? All right, we are. We're going for the Washington football team. All right. I had Washington football team, and I had the Bucs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the dark just hit the Washington football team. No, I'm kidding. We spend a lot of time on these picks. The picks matter to me. I'm 0-2. As you know, we didn't do picks yesterday. The reason I'm 0-2 is that's two NBA games since we were back in the new year. But we've got Four picks for you today. We picked the first two wild card games two days ago. And today we've got the other four. The Buccaneers are playing the Washington football team and it's an interesting game. Washington football team actually has a better defense than people realize even though their offense is horrific and they're going to go with alternating quarterbacks. And one of the quarterbacks literally is on one leg, not because of the injury that Alex Smith had, because he has a hurt calf the other quarterback whose name completely escapes me. I want to say it's Heineke or Heineken or Budweiser or Schneikies or something like that. He could end up taking a bunch of snaps for the Washington football team. And they're playing against a team called the Buccaneers who their quarterback, his, his name totally escapes me, but I I think he's good. And they got him from the Patriots. I just can't remember his name and uh, they've got a good tight end. They've got great receivers. They are a team on the road having won 11 games favored by eight points. It's a slam dunk that the Buccaneers win, right? Of course. As a matter of fact, Chase Young, who is that great defensive player for the WFT, he came out and said, I want you, Tom. That's who it is. It's Tom Brady, of course. I want you, Tom. I've always pictured when everyone says I want you, I picture the the uh, U.S. Army. The guy said, I want you. So Chase Young spent quite a bit of time speaking to his coach, Ron Rivera, saying, I didn't mean to really give him bulletin board material, but it totally was bulletin board material. Not that the Buccaneers need bulletin board material. The only bulletin board material that they actually need, interestingly enough, is Tom Brady to walk into the clubhouse, look at the bulletin board and say, hey, I want to ring at 43 because that will make me the goatest of the goatest.'" And if we win a Super Bowl in our home city, because the Super Bowl is in Tampa, so if we win it and become the first ever team to win a Super Bowl, there's never even been a team to play a Super Bowl in its home stadium. So forget that. If we win it, then I don't need to hear another word about anyone for the rest of my life. That's true. But I do believe that the football team will cover the eight-point spread. So I'm taking WFT plus eight over the Bucks. Titans play the Ravens. Titans have Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Ravens have Lamar Jackson at quarterback. It's actually a great matchup of two great teams. I think they're both 11 and five, if, if I can recall correctly. And it actually has the Ravens minus three and a half over the Titans. And Lamar Jackson, who is all sorts of excited to play this game, wants to get to a Super Bowl. Has a firm belief that his team is good enough to get past the Chiefs this year. Unfortunately, he's not taking into account how good the Titans are. I like the extra half point because it means that the Ravens can win by a field goal if they have to, but I'm taking the Titans plus three and a half. Now, those of you who have any recollection of last year know that the Titans beat the Ravens last year in the playoffs 28 to 12. I'm not suggesting that that will happen again this year that they will win in a blowout fashion, but I do like getting the three and a half points. Okay. New Orleans saints are playing the Chicago bears and what will be the blowout of the postseason wild wildcard weekend drew Brees and the saints. If you have been watching the bears, I, they made the playoffs. They backed into the playoffs. Trubisky is a uh, media, mediocre quarterback at best. And I can tell you that the Saints and this game is one that uh, I am going to watch. And it is only interesting to me because there's going to be slime. Remember the segment we did a week or two ago when it was announced that the Saints game, there'd be a playoff game that would be shown on Nickelodeon side by side, not a simulcast with totally different announcers where they're going to slime the players on TV. And every time a guy scores a touchdown, he's going to jump into a bucket of that crud. I think it'll be a blowout game, but if you can spend some time watching the Nickelodeon broadcast of Saints, Saints minus 10 over the Bears, take the Saints. Let's get to the last game of the weekend. It's a pretty big one. It really is. The Browns are getting six points from the Steelers, a rematch of week 17. The Browns who had not been in the playoffs since 2002 against an undefeated Steelers team after 11 weeks who finished the regular season 12 and four. Losing four to five games heading into the playoffs is not how you want to head in. The team looks more like a nine and seven team than like a 12 and four team. I love that the Browns are getting six points. And you're saying to me they have COVID. The whole team's missing. They have no coach. I do agree that NFL coaching is very important. I do. And I do feel badly that Stefanski's not going to be there, Stefanski. But I'm taking the points. Browns plus six. So to reiterate, that's three dogs we're taking. Is that right, Coca? Football team plus eight over the Bucs. Titans plus three and a half over the Ravens. Browns plus six over the Steelers. Saints minus 10 over the Bears. Three dogs and a fave. That's the nothing personal pick of the day. And it segues us into our wait to see. The wait to see is that Chase Young, who has been providing all this bulletin board material, which really doesn't matter because the Buccaneers couldn't care less. But Chase Young is going to back it up. I am predicting a sack by Chase Young. Now, they are going to put all their attention on him because they do not want to see him celebrating any sort of sack, any sort of tackle. I can't find a market. I'm sure there's a prop bet somewhere. But if you're with your friends, I'm setting the market at an over under of a half a sack. Now, you can get a half a sack. If two guys tackle the quarterback at once, the official score in the NFL can actually give half a sack to one guy and half a sack to the other. So by setting the over under at a half a sack, I'm saying that he has to be involved in two half sacks or get his own sack. But I'm taking the over. Chase Young will go over half a sack officially as the Washington football team cover the eight point spread. I wonder whether uh, football teams who are not in the playoffs watch the playoffs. I always watched the MLB playoffs every year that we were not in the playoffs, which was only 17 out of the 18 years I was in baseball. So 17 times I watched every playoff game in October because I wanted to torture myself. I wanted to watch so I could remind myself why I worked so hard every single day. I wonder if Deshaun Watson is watching the playoffs. Absolutely despondent that the Texans stink, rich beyond belief. Well, we've got an update about Deshaun Watson. We covered him sometime in the last week when we had a word of the day that was called empowerment. And I wanted to know what level of empowerment he actually had because he wanted to be involved in the head coach and GM search for his Houston Texans. He felt as a player that he had the right to be involved. And I said to you, you better be careful if you're the owner of that team and you're Cal McNair. You better be super careful, super Careful how much you empower your players because nothing good can happen. Well, we have a Watson update, and guess what? The Houston Texans have hired a new GM. His name is Nick Casario. Nick Casario comes from the Patriots. He's another descendant of the Patriot coaching and GM in front office tree. By the way, the guy they fired in Houston. Whose name was Bill O'Brien was also a descendant of the Patriots coaching and GM tree. Watson, after hearing that Casario had been hired, got on Twitter and said, quote, some things will never change. Ay, 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 the Texans are in trouble. Not only did Cal McNair not hire who Watson wanted hired, who was Eric Bienemy. He didn't even interview him or talk to him. Cal McNair had told Watson that he would be involved in the GM and the coach hiring process, told him that he will be able to provide feedback, but then did not ask for feedback did not communicate with his player, and just hired Nick Casario. Were you not listening, Cal? Were you not paying attention? Don't tell a player that he's going to be involved in something and then don't involve him. It's better just to tell the truth in advance and say, thanks for coming to my office. I appreciate you Bringing up your concerns and thoughts, Ray, our coaching and GM search. We are going to bring in the best person we can who will put us in the best position possible to win. By the way, we just gave you $100 million guaranteed in an extension. Do you think that we don't want you to be in the best position to win? Do we think that we're trying to completely subjugate your power and make it so you're miserable? No, but you do your job, we'll do ours. We're going to bring in someone who we think is the best possible person, period. That's what you say to your player if you're not going to consult with him. If you are going to consult with him and you tell him you're going to consult with him, then you sure as shit better consult with him. So meanwhile, Watson hasn't spoken to Team Brass since the hiring. Nick Casario comes in as a GM having to do damage control and call Watson, which by the way, he better have done. Casario's first call needs to be to Watson to say, listen, I appreciate that you wanted to be involved in the process. Let me tell you my view as GM of a team. Let me tell you what I'm going to do in the power that I have from the owner That he's granted to me because if I hadn't gotten that power that I'm about to tell you I have, I wouldn't have taken the job. And the power I have is to make improvements in this team where we need him. And I'll tell you, I want to hear from you where you think we need him. But here's where I think we need him. We need a better offensive line. We need to give you better weapons on the offensive side with with uh, wide receivers and tight ends. And I'm going to work to improve the offense so that you have the ability when I'm calling plays and when we hire the coach who's going to call the plays, when we set up game plans, they will be for the sole purpose of putting you in the best position possible. Now, I know you had a great season last year, but as a team, we didn't. So I'm going to put you in the best possible position, but I'm also going to make sure that we're taking care of the team. That's what he should have done. And by the way, if you are Cal McNair, that's not his name. What is it, Coca? McNair, it is, I think. Here's what you do when you pick up the phone today, after you read that your superstar quarterback is even more upset than he was. You pick up the phone and you say, hello, Sean, yeah, it's me. Could you do me a small favor? And could you take your Twitter account and shove it? Because when you walked into my office and I told you that you may be involved and that you may be able to provide feedback, if I in any way made it sound as though that that was definitely gonna happen, then I'm sorry, but it's not definitely gonna happen. Because as you very well know, I've got a job to do, Deshaun. So please, remember one thing above all,
0: it's just business. It's nothing personal.